All right, we're going to, oh, by the way, before I begin, I got a dad joke for you this morning. Sometimes these aren't so good. I didn't have, I didn't have Jolene to test it on this morning, so I'm not sure, but uh, what do you call a bear that is condescending? A panda. <laughs> eh, sorry about that. All right, so we're going to start a study this quarter on why I believe, Okay. And I hope it'll be a good study. It should just be mostly for this quarter. Each week, we're going to take a different topic on why I believe in certain things. And this week, of course, we're going to say why I believe in God. And I'm happy to profess, I believe in God. And that faith is a comfort. As I just read in 2 Corinthians there, it's such a comfort to have faith. I've been praying without ceasing. I remember talking to Jolene's sister during this, and she said, I fully understand now what it means to pray without ceasing. And, you, and you're not, doesn't mean you're on your knees 24-7, but you are constantly in a state of prayer, of relationship with the Father, in need and comfort and, 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 and needing peace and needing assurance, needing healing, asking for healing, asking for comfort in some way. And he brings it. Somehow or another, it just, it comes. We don't... Uh, we don't see God physically. We don't, I've never heard his voice physically, but I know he's there through my faith. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, and let's read a verse from there about that faith and what is said about faith. Hebrews chapter 11, <clears throat> and verse 5. This is the great Hall of Fame of Faith chapter in Hebrews. He says, By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. And was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you believe in God so much that you believe in his rewards? Do you believe in God so much that you stand on the promises that he made? I don't know how many times I've read those scriptures these last few weeks. On his promises of that eternal reward. Needing that to reassure myself. Needing that to reassure me about Jolene and myself and my family. And what a comfort that is. Just to go through that and read those passages. Well, today we're going to get into a little bit of the evidences. Christian evidences. And by the way, I'm reading a book right now. It's very good. The title is... Why I, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And a whole, it's a long book on Christian evidences. It's excellent. But basically the point is being, it takes a lot more faith to be an atheist than to believe in God. Because the evidences are there, whether you believe it or not. We'll talk about the, a few of those today. What, what are some reasons that we believe in God? First, we have what's called the teleological argument. The argument that there is evidence of design in the universe. In other words, we're talking about the orderly movement of the heavenly bodies, making space travel possible. Do you know, you can calculate the movement of all the solar system, the stars, all those things be calculated enough that man can build a spacecraft and travel to other parts of the universe and arrive there safely, going to the moon, right? We've sent probes out into the far reaches of the solar system. The Boyer Project went past uh, the, the planets Uranus and uh, Neptune and swung around them and went on out into space past that. They can do that because there is a design there. The universe is in order. 
there are things that you don't know about our solar system that we don't know unless we're studying. One thing I was reading in that book was how, how Jupiter is the large gas planet in our solar system protects the earth. Did you know that? It's such a big planet and has such a, a large gravitational pull that you have space debris, asteroids, comets, whatever, that come into our solar system and tend to be sent back out because of Jupiter's gravitational pull, protecting the earth from large impacts. Interesting things like that that you don't think about. That, wow, that, that's, that's awesome to think about, right? Things that in our universe has designed. And what about the animal instincts in our, in our world? Have you ever thought about that? It's amazing how animals just know things. They know what to do. The patterns of migration of birds, of salmon, fish in the water. How about, have you ever looked at the monarch butterfly migration? Did you know that every year, eastern uh, monarch butterflies as far north as Canada will migrate all the way to the Sierra Madre Mountains in Mexico for the winter? How do, how do they know to go that far? They're little butterflies. And they're all massed together on trees to warm, to warm themselves in the, in the winter. Amazing things that you see. There has to be a designer of that. That just doesn't happen by chance, right? Design suggests a designer. A designer who has intelligence, who has a purpose. For example, you look at a watch, and you've probably heard that before. You look at a watch and how it's made. What's that say to you? There had to be a designer of that watch. There had to be someone with intelligence. There had to be someone with purpose to design that inner making so that watch will work. You know how to get here. You were here by 9 o'clock this morning. Why? Well, you got a watch or a clock at home. It was designed to run precisely so you can be where you need to be. To credit such intricate, intricate and precise workmanship to blind chance makes no sense, does it? It makes no sense. Any reasonable person can see that. Yeah, people in the world will try to deny it. They'll try to say, you know, uh, there's no truth. There's no design. But we know better. How do we know better? We can contemplate these things. We can contemplate the universe. We can look at things in our own bodies, how it heals itself, how it's made. Just think of the eyeball and the intricate details of your eye and how you're able to see. Have you ever thought about that? How am I able to see what's in front of me? You know, the design had to be there. These are wonderful things. This is very scriptural. If you'll turn over to Psalm chapter 19, I want to read about that. It's, it's prophesied about. It's, his design is, is mentioned many times over. Psalm 19. And let's see what the psalmist has to say here. Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1. He says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the, form, the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. In other words, the psalmist is saying that we can know God by creation. Simply by the universe. Turn over to Psalm 139 and see what it said there. <clears throat> 139 and verse 14. The psalmist says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. The psalmist is saying, we are wonderfully made. We are designed. We were created by an intelligent being, and that being is God. And then turn over to Romans chapter 1. 
And let's read a few verses from there. If you ever study Romans 1, Paul is dealing with the fact that the Jews had the law, right? The Gentiles did not. But he goes on to say, but the Gentiles without the law had no excuse. And why was that? Verse 19. Let's start with verse 18. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. He says, from the beginning, man has known of God simply by looking out the window. Going outside and looking at a tree, seeing the birds fly over. Where did all that come from? The Gentiles had no excuse. Yes, the Jews had the law. The Gentiles had creation. Same as us, right? We have that idea that we know God through what we see. There's also what's called the moral and the anthropological argument for God. And that's this, that there is a universal sense of ought. In other words, everywhere people have a sense of ought. What is right and wrong? What should be done and what shouldn't be? People are concerned that people should act in a certain way, right? Certain things should be done in a certain way and that people do not act, and, and they know that people often do not act in the way they should or the way they ought. How do they know this, right? How is that asked? Even atheists and agnostics have a sense of justice, right? They're, they're angered when it's violated, you know, especially in a case of like rape or murder. That's unjust. They need to be made whole. Something has to be paid for that. But if there's no God, if there's no right or wrong, how do you know? This moral nature in man suggests a moral being who was the original cause, the original cause of creation, the original cause of man and man's ability to think, to reason, to understand right and wrong, good and evil. If there is no God, well, then there is no right or wrong, good or evil. If there is no God, no atheist could object on moral grounds if I wanted to kill him. Right? Who's he going to appeal to? What's he going to go to? Where's the reasoning behind it? A similar reason is called the general argument, and that's the universal religious instinct and belief in God. Man in all the world and throughout all time not only believed in a deity, but also encouraged acts of worship and devotion, some to the point of evil, child sacrifice, terrible things like that. But the religious principle is extremely potent. In all, all nations, dominating their thought and their history. Everywhere, the human heart has a craving for God. Did you know that? You were born with a craving for God? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe you try to suppress it all the time. Maybe, maybe you don't want to think about it, but it's there. There will be exceptions, of course, as individuals accept, you know, to the rule. 
Atheists are the exception to the rule. But when you're out in your daily work or daily school life or, you know, whatever it is, have you ever talked with someone and, and they talk about their prayers, their thoughts and prayers? I thought about it a lot because I heard a lot about that last week. And I had some folks who I know from work and perhaps would tell me, you're in our prayers and thoughts. And I would think, well, I appreciate that, but I know they're not believers. So I think, how do you know? Why do you pray then if you're not necessarily a believer? But there's a sense of something out there they need to pray to. They, they can't control it, right? Something has to be in control. Oh, maybe there is a supreme being that's in control. Interesting, right? <clears throat> Many of our deepest longing of man in, in, our, in what we want or need, there's always something pretty much to satisfy, right? Hunger. When we're hungry, there is food. When we're thirsty, right, there's water. We can be filled. There must be a reality of God that complements and meets that universal craving for a supreme being, right? There has to be. Paul says this longing for God was placed in man by God himself. In fact, let's turn over to Acts chapter 17 and just read that. See what he said. Acts chapter 17. And let's begin in verse... 26. Actually, let's go back to verse uh, 23. And this is when he's addressing uh, those in Rome about the unknown God. He says, Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God, who made the world and everything in it. And since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he, and since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives us to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-apportioned times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. He's addressing those in Rome because they had many gods, right? The classical gods of Rome, the temples that had been built to them. And he was saying, there's only one God. And they even, had, they even had a temple, right, to the unknown God, just in case they missed one. And Paul's saying, I'm telling you about him. You need to know about this unknown God. He is the creator of the universe. So man has always had that longing. And... Another reason is the, uh, that every, it's the concept that every effect must have a cause. This is also called the argument from first cause. And it's based upon the premise that every effect must have a cause. The cosmos or the universe is an effect that must have had an absolute cause. It had a beginning. In fact, for many years, scientists believed the universe was infinite that there was no beginning or end. And then, as time went on, scientists began to calculate things and the movements of the bodies in the heavens, and they came to the theory of the Big Bang, right? And you've heard that. It's a show about it. And I don't know if that's a, a great, a absolute theory, you know, good theory or true theory, but the point I want to make from that is they now say there was a beginning, 
there was a creation time. They don't necessarily say that God did it, but there was a beginning to the universe. You can see how the universe is still expanding from this point. There's all kinds of things they can see now with the telescopes and all that, how things work in the universe. So the point being is we see that there was a cause, and we, well, we, there was, we see the effect, and therefore we understand because of that effect, there was a cause. And in our hearts, we understand that to be a supreme being because we couldn't do it, right? Not something we could do. The Bible reveals this adequate cause. We know it in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Pretty simple statement. Pretty powerful effect. And we can look out into the universe and be awed by it. Have you ever sat out at night and looked up at the stars when it was a clear night? I know living in the city, it's hard to see. Have you ever been out of the country and been able to see the Milky Way? Has anybody, raise your hand if you've ever seen the Milky Way. Yes, sir. Very few of us have because it's so hard to get away from the light of the city and so forth. I've been out in, into the, in the countryside camping and I've seen the, the night sky without the light. It's full of stars. Did you know that? You look up here, and you might see a few. You know, we see the Big Dipper and Polaris and the North Star and, and, and the moon. But you go out in the woods. They're everywhere. They're innumerable. Yet God knows the count, just like the hair on your head. It's an awesome thing about it. I can remember a few years back, uh, it was around uh, mid-December. I think that's the, when the Geminid meteor showers. Geminid or Percy, I can't remember which occurs because we're passing through an asteroid belt. The Earth is passing the asteroid belt at that time. And you can go out at night, usually before, before dawn, at a particular time, and you can see shooting stars going everywhere. And I was off. I had saved my vacation, so I was off. And I said, I'm going to go outside tonight and watch the stars. And Jelly said, well, you do that. I'm going to bed. And so I went out and had my, and it was cold. I had a little sleeping bag, and I bundled up, and I just laid down in my driveway. And I remember seeing these stars started flying everywhere. It was awesome. And some would shoot across. And then every once in a while, you'd get like a little flare. And it just kind of slowly going and burning. You could see it burning and it flame out. I was so impressed. By it. God, I had my phone with me. I called Jolene in bed, woke her up. I said, you should have seen this star. It was amazing. She said, okay, yeah, great. Thanks for calling me, waking me up. But it was awesome. It was so inspiring. To see something like that. If you haven't done that, take the time to do it sometime. Stay up all night if you have to. You know, you can sleep in the afternoon. God's creation is all. And we know from that rule that every effect has a cause in the universe. Therefore, the universe began, was created by God. You can deny that all day if you want. But it's a plain fact. God, by definition, is not physical. The law that states every effect has a cause applies to things that are physical. If you've ever talked to someone about God and how he created things, have you ever heard somebody say, well, who created God? You ever heard somebody say that? And if you're thinking about that in the physical realm, it's kind of hard to answer that, isn't it? But 
We know from John 4, chapter 24, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he said God is spirit, and he wishes to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. He's not of this realm. He is of the spiritual realm. The laws of the physical universe do not apply to the spiritual realm. And that's why when we read, especially in the Old Testament, when God says, I am, he is explaining, I've simply am. I've been, always was, always will be. We read that in John 1. When John talks about Jesus and coming. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. And John 1, 14, he became flesh and dwelt among men. God has always been. He always will be. We can't explain that, not in the physical sense, not in the flesh. But we know that he exists and he created everything. Then there's also an argument called the aesthetical argument, <clears throat> the argument for believing God, and that's the presence of, of beauty, of sublimity in the universe. And you may think, well, that, that, that doesn't seem like that great argument, but really it is if you think about it. You know, this argument is based on the presence of beauty and the way we can see things in the universe and think, that's very beautiful. It's very uh, aesthetic. It's very uh, artistic. And, you know, when you see certain art, you think that is beautiful. Or you see certain sculptures and things, that's very pretty. Or you see the way flowers are arranged or, or uh, just beautiful artwork. We can see that. And, and creation, go out onto a mountaintop, right, at dusk, and look out at the beauty of creation. Awesome thing. We see Art and beauty in God's creation. We see sublimity. It's not chaos. Went to the Grand Canyon a few years ago. And, you know, you, if you ever go to the Grand Canyon, you can walk right up to the edge of that thing. You can just jump off if you want. People do that. And I remember walking up to the edge, and it was getting dark, and just looking around and thinking, if I wanted to, I could just jump off, and that'd be it. But I was in awe. Just looking around at the shapes and the lights and, and the way the sun and the shadows shone on the canyon and thinking how that was created and made. And then I got up early the next morning and went out before the sun came up. And with other people, it was cold and we were standing there and I could see the sun coming up over the horizon. And it was amazing to see, you know, all the, the, there's many different colors and shapes in the canyon and the sun would come in and start shining on parts and just light it up. It was an awesome feeling. If you've never done that, I would suggest doing it sometime. But we can see beauty in his creation, and it's wonderful. The presence of beauty in nature itself and art can be understood by man, and the response of man to this beauty is appropriate and points to a God, points to a supreme being that made this earth. How did this beauty and this ability to appreciate it develop? Was it the result of blind chance? No. Don't believe that whatsoever. Or did it come from a supreme being who is intelligent, who is moral, and who is artistic? Turn over to Psalm chapter 96, and let's see what's said there. Psalm chapter 96, verse 4. It says, for the Lord 
is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. All the other gods were just false. He made the beauty of the earth. He made us to be able to see it, to be able to understand what we're seeing is great and awesome. These arguments are pretty much philosophical arguments, but they're based on what the Bible itself says and what can be learned about God from nature. Other arguments can be offered to support the, uh, the uh, existence of God. For instance, we, we can have a study on, on the fulfillment of Scripture, the fulfillment of prophecies in Scripture, and we, we will get into that. We, will, we can look at the scientific foreknowledge that's in Scripture. Amazing things to see, right? We can see the uniformity of the Scripture, that it makes sense and it's together. And we can see uh, evidence of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I'm, in that book I'm reading, there's a chapter on did Jesus really, was Jesus really raised from the dead? Did these eyewitnesses that saw that prove that he was raised? And if you ever go through that, you wouldn't believe how many people actually saw him. We don't think about that. We just know he was raised from the dead. We think he appeared to the disciples and, and Mary Magdalene and Mary, a couple other women, two guys on the road. He appeared, according to Paul, he appeared to 500 at one time. He appeared to many people. And the writings about that in the scripture make sense. If you ever go through Acts and just study the things that Luke wrote about. He didn't necessarily see him, but he heard about it. And he writes about the things that were going on in the first century. That can be proven by archaeological evidence. To prove what he's writing about is true. Existed at the time. And you can say, well, he's talking about their resurrection. And he's talking about people who saw him after he was raised. First century writers who were not Christians write about it too. And we'll get into that a little bit. Do you believe in God? Faith in God is a choice that we make between two alternatives. The river evidence for God's reality runs strong and deep, but its current is not irresistible. Many people swim against it, at least for a little while. Choosing to believe that God exists is a voluntary act of trust. We believe not because we think the reality of God is absolutely unequivocal, but because we judge the evidence to be greatly in its favor. After careful thought, faith puts its trust and confidence in a premise that is to be seen to be supported by the weight of the evidence. We're not just blindly believing. We've seen the evidence. Faced with the ultimate fork in the road, faith understands that a decision has to be made. And it responsibly chooses one alternative. But the decision to believe isn't merely the adoption of an intellectual position. No, it's the courageous taking of a stand. Like all ideas, the idea of God has consequences. And faith dares to accept these consequences. It says, I have considered the matter and I'm prepared to make my choice. What I have seen has taught me to trust this thing which I can't see. The reality of God. I not only believe 
but I am prepared to follow my faith wherever it ends. That's from Gary Henry writing Diligently Seeking God. I know I'm kind of speaking to the choir here this morning. You got up early on a Sunday morning and you came to class. There's still a lot of people in bed right now. But you did that because you chose to do it. You chose to believe. He didn't force you to do it. He didn't require you to do it without thought. He wants you to choose him. He wants you to believe. He wants you to love him as he first loved you. That's an awesome thought, isn't it? That's an awesome thing to think about on a Sunday morning. And it's something you need to consider every morning. There is a time of coming when that reality of God is no longer going to be a matter of faith. The Bible is very plain. It's going to be an overwhelming fact. Impossible to deny and terrifying in its implication for those who have tried to deny it. Romans 14, 11, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Have you considered that? Yeah, I know. I, I don't want you to come to him out of fear, but maybe fear is a good thing if it'll get you motivated. Perhaps that's a good start. But our faith requires more than that. It requires, as we talked about when we were studying Mark, denying ourselves, right? What did Jesus say to the disciples? Are you ready to drink of my cup, to be baptized by my baptism? He talked about his suffering, great suffering, being nailed to that cross. There's a price to be paid. By believing in him. There is. Yeah, we live in America, right? We have freedom of religion. We can come to church on Sunday without fear of being shot to death, put in prison. You know, that's different than the way Paul in the first century was. But we still have consequences, right? Friends we might lose, family members that may not speak to us anymore might even lose a job because you make a stand about your faith. There's consequences to it. It's not just being here on a Sunday morning and sitting in the pew. But in the end, it will be the greatest thing that you ever did. And today, if you're not a Christian, it's good a day as any to make that decision. We're going to be studying about why we believe certain things this quarter. I think it's going to be great. We'll talk about why we believe in the Bible. Why we believe in Jesus. Why we do things here in our worship. Things like that. It's going to be a wonderful study. I hope you'll be uh, anxious to be here in class and study these things. Christian evidences is a wonderful thing because we don't, we don't necessarily look at that all the time. But we need to. Because as I said, we don't have a blind faith. We understand God by the creation. We understand God by the order of the universe. The things that we can see in a world had to be created by an intelligent God. And he loved us enough to reveal himself to us and to send his son that we might have a hope of eternal life. 
So as my read in Mark 8, 36, what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his only very, very own soul? Nothing. That's a decision you got to consider. That's something we need to think about every day. You can be living the greatest Christian life, but in a moment it can be taken. We need to have that focus constantly on him, on others who need to hear the gospel, and on those who are in need. And I hope that you can resolve to do that. This congregation is a wonderful congregation. I've seen so much love. I'm just overwhelmed by it. But that has to continue. We are a light shining in a dark world, shining in a dark community. We are to show Jesus, who was the light that came into the world, as John said in chapter 1. We are the hands and feet. And we need to get busy and stay busy. In prayer, daily, without ceasing. In study, daily, and in service. It's February of 2024. We've got a lot of things, opportunities that you can do here in the congregation. Take advantage of them. And be ready to serve any way you can. It's the most wonderful, abundant life, as it said in John chapter 20. He said, there are so many things that I have not written that we could write about Jesus, that you can have joy and abundant life. It's that peace that surpasses all understanding. The world doesn't understand it. The world's going to, you know, hell. But our God is faithful to reward us. We stay faithful to him. So I want to encourage you. Stay with him. Help each other. Comfort each other. And know that there is God. Draw near to him. And he will draw nearer to you. All right, time is up. Thanks for being here.